Well, beloved listeners, I've been in and out of the Australian newspaper pretty much since it was first published. I've been hired thrice by Rupert and sacked only once, well, once so far. Uh, perhaps I'll be sacked again as a result of the, fo- the following interview with Paddy Manning. Now, Paddy, of course, journalist extraordinaire, and he's written for many news outlets, including, yes, The Australian, Crikey, and the SMH. But more recently, he did a segue into biographies, including one on Malcolm Turnbull, aptly titled Born to Rule. His latest is called The Successor, The High Stakes Life of Lachlan Murdoch, and it's published by Black Ink. And I'm delighted that I have Paddy here alive and kicking in the studio to give us the lowdown on what he's dug up. Now, this is clearly an unauthorised biography, but did you ever approach Lachlan for input? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I was hoping for an interview and I made that clear um, all the way along. Uh, And I spent months trying and I spent months kind of negotiating access to his inner circle and then getting um, off-the-record briefings that went for hours and hours over, you know, sort of multiple sessions over a kind of more than a year. And I hoped that in that process, I was building up some kind of trust and confidence with his closest advisors and that an interview with Lachlan might result. It was always, it was told right at the beginning, it was a 5% chance and the book wasn't predicated on access at all, but I I tried. You didn't uh, succeed to grab Lachlan, but heavens above, you interviewed 60 others and did oodles of research. Did any or all of them uh, talk to you on the record? Yeah, I got some, I think, some really good gets uh, in the book. You know, one of Lachlan's oldest friends, James Packer, you know, with whom, you know, Lachlan and James have had a very interesting, as kind of media sions. Besties. Yeah, a very interesting relationship over the years that takes in Super League, One Tell, Channel 10. Which we'll look at it yes. down the track. Cole Allen. You know, Kim Williams, there are, I think, you know, uh, one of Lachlan's old, old best mates, Joe Cross, uh, spent a lot of time with me. Uh, yeah, so I think I've got a good flavour of, the, you know, the important people in, in Lachlan's life. Before we go back in time to look at some of the key moments in his life that have moulded him, uh, you actually closed the book with an account of a meeting earlier this year which confirms your view that Lachlan is in charge. Yes, absolutely. It was described to me as a real baton passing moment from Rupert to Lachlan. So this was a top secret meeting of the boards of Fox and News Corporation. And all of the... Where where was it? It was at his home, Chartwell. It's better known as the Beverly Hillbillies Mansion in LA. And... Yeah, it was Lachlan hosting. It was Lachlan setting the agenda. Rupert didn't speak. He, uh, Rupert's there and didn't speak. Correct. Wow. So, so Lachlan introduces, you know, the guest list of, you know, of speakers that's been put together by him and his, you know, executives. Uh, and it's all about bringing the boards of Fox and News together and thinking about how they can anticipate the, the the challenges, if you like, as businesses 
from Web 3.0. So um, Lachlan's view was that, you know, the media industry had been caught napping by Web 2, which is, you know, social media, the Facebooks and Googles, and which had stolen their ad revenue. And he didn't want to see that happening again with Web 3, which is, you know, when we shift to the metaverse and blockchain, the disintermediation. And so he wanted to kind of chart a new course for the business. I take great pleasure in the thought that I won't be around when that happens. And uh, nor, one imagines, will Rupert. He will finally die. So let's go back a bit. Lachlan was Rupert's firstborn, firstborn son after two daughters, Prue from his first marriage and then Liz. Lachlan and James followed shortly after. From an early age, they knew that they were part of a media empire. Yes, so Lachlan and his um, siblings grow up in an extraordinary environment. Um, He is born in London, but they leave very early. Lachlan, the way he describes it, uh, was embarrassed uh, to have been born in England. His mother hated it. You know, they had a series of terrible experiences in London and and they move when Lachlan's, you know, a young a young boy to New York. And he grows up there in in a extremely privileged environment, but also um seeing his dad on the front cover of Time magazine as a dressed up as King Kong um taking over New York. Now, he wasn't great at uh, academic stuff, was he? No, it's um, it took me a, a little bit of time to kind of piece together exactly which schools he went to because there were quite a few. But unlike uh, Elizabeth or James, Lachlan didn't graduate from, you know, what would be called, you know, an Ivy League preparatory school. You know, he graduates from Aspen Country Day School as one of eight students in the class of 1990. And I think that contributed in a way to his reputation as being the least academic of the, of the three kids to Anna. I knew Anna a little, a very distinguished woman in many ways, but born in Scotland and uh, very socially conservative. Yeah, I think Anna's influence on Lachlan is underestimated. You know, there's so much focus on Rupert. And so, for example, the New Yorker journalist Ken Orletta interviewed uh, Rupert about Anna back in the 80s. And Rupert admits that Anna was more socially conservative than him. She, for example, was had a very um, hardline view on abortion. She was a very devout Catholic. Correct. And I think some of, um, you know, Lachlan was very loyal to Anna, for example, through the divorce to uh, from Rupert. And I think there is a lot of Anna in Lachlan. During uh, Lachlan's childhood, Rupert was, uh, well, very busy expanding his empire from a tiny base in Australia to the UK and then, as you say, on to the US. But uh, Lachlan's first serious job was here at the Courier-Mail in Brisbane, doing what? Well, it was a kind of like Lachlan has had a series of, if you like, made-up jobs, you know, that are tailored for him. Clearly, he's the son of the proprietor. And so he's in there from his early 20s. I think he was 22 when he first arrives in Australia, having graduated in philosophy from Princeton. So he he comes here and he's kind of thrown in the deep end. But he's mentored by Ken Cowley, isn't he, who died last week? 
Correct. Yes, he is. Yep. He's under, I mean, Ken is the chief executive of News Corp, um, which is, at this point is still headquartered in Australia. And it's actually Ken's brother, John, who takes charge of the young Lachlan and shows him the ropes at the Courier Mail. And Lachlan comes in in a kind of publishing role and then starts to kind of liven it up. If you talk to some of the journalists that worked on the paper in those days. They credit Lachlan with reviving the paper, including its investigative journalism. It starts to win Walkley Awards. And there's a cohort of people that Lachlan gets to know at the Courier-Mail in Brisbane in the 90s. Chris Mitchell, Paul Whitaker, Chris Dore, who go on to have illustrious careers in the News Corp empire. Now, one of his first big ventures outside the, uh, outside the media was his involvement in starting up the Super League. Now, I took no interest in this, so explain why it's important. I think the way I think of it is, I don't know if your listeners would be familiar with the book Hack Attack by Nick Davies, the journalist who revealed the phone hacking at The Guardian in, in you know, 2011. And that book, the way he describes it is the Murdoch empire rests on a kind of triangulation between, on the one hand, you've got a broadsheet in most markets, whether it's US, UK or Australia. Uh, you've got a tabloid and then you've got pay TV and the pay TV across those three um, kind of points of the triangle, uh, the pay TV is supported by sports rights and they kind of mutually, the, the broadsheet provides influence, but the tabloid and the pay TV operations are the money makers and they rest substantially on the value of sports rights. And so what happens with Super League is cor it corresponds with Fox televisions bid for the NFL rights in the United States, the Sky televisions taking over the Premier League rights for the soccer, as we call it, uh, in the UK. And here was an effort to take over and privatise effectively the game of rugby league in Australia. And Lachlan arrives, whether by design or coincidence, we're not sure, but he arrives uh, right when that Super League Blitzkrieg, as it was called, takes off. And he becomes a point man up in negotiations with the players. Um, John Rebo, who was, who was spearheading the um, Super League for News Corporation, uh, says he told me that, you know, the footy players liked dealing with Lachlan. He's young like them. Uh, he's from another world. He's incredibly rich and powerful. And, um, and they also, you know, I spoke to some of these players, they also described him as kind of disarming charming, you know, no nonsense, happy to jump in the back of a car and go off to a barbecue and have a few beers, even have a game of touch footy. So he's he's used as a kind of point man uh, for Super League. While James Packer is being used as a point man as well. Exactly. And so here you have, this is the first time they meet. And of course, they both have extremely powerful fathers. Um, they're both wealthy. And James reaches out to Lachlan at this point and they make a big effort to try and keep line, lines of communication open and have a have a something like a friendship. What now? Finally, of course, it was the dads that sorted out the the drama, the mess. But as you say, it established their friendship. Does that friendship endure? Well, it does, and and I was surprised, I guess, at the if you think about it, how they've had sort of parallel careers uh, in some ways. You know, they've. They've not just had that upbringing in common, being, you know, the first sons of uh, media proprietors, but they've also invested together. They've socialised together. They've, they have Presumably maintained a friendship. Presumably lolled about on each other's yachts. Plenty of that. 
Um, so actually, one of the things I reveal in the book is that that it was a, a trip on Kerry Packer's old boat, the Arctic P, where James and Lachlan kind of broke the ice in the middle of the Super League wars. And, and while I'm told, you know, on that trip, they didn't discuss business. The point was that they, they were both advising their fathers at that point that there's too much money was being wasted on this competition. Now, the the besties relationship was then, of course, uh, intensified and stressed by one tell, the disaster of one tell. Whose fault was that? Well, Packer blames himself to this day. And, I mean, if you read Packer's biography, uh, there is, he beats himself up still uh, about one tell and how it went wrong. He was, of, clo- of course, close to Jody Rich, uh, the founder. They'd been to school together. And yet Packer um, very much takes blames himself um, for the failure of Wantel and, and for bringing in Lachlan, his friend. Uh, you know, a- actually, you know, News Corporation's losses were, were more than those of, of PBL at that time. And James, you know, apologises to Rupert. Um, Lachlan famously gives evidence in court that uh, James burst into tears at his house when they realised that Wantel was going broke. Uh, it's a searing experience for both of them and it drags on the legal proceedings for almost a decade. I've got a memory of uh, the, all this happening because I was besties at the time with, with Kerry Packer and I always had the feeling that Kerry, in a sense, quite liked the Wantel collapse because it gave him greater authority over James. Yes, and and it was a it was a defining moment too, in the sense that Kerry really punished James uh, for the failure of Wantel, where Rupert uh, defended Lachlan uh, publicly and privately. He described it as a learning experience, and and it goes to the different parenting styles of of James. Obviously, okay, of if Wantel was a disaster, Lachlan surely redeemed himself with the the best real estate deal ever. Yes, so he was called by John McGrath, who uh, the kind of legendary um, real estate um, agent um, operating out of Sydney and who he knew through the Muse- uh, Museum of Contemporary Art. So once Lachlan moves from Brisbane at the Courier Mail down to News uh, in Sydney and starts working out of Holt Street, he gets introduced to a whole network of people, Colette Denigan, Joe Cross, who becomes one of his very best mates, uh, and John McGrath through this Museum of Contemporary Arts kind of young patrons society. And McGrath calls him up when a uh, new website called realestate.com.au in the wake of the kind of tech wreck uh, is running out of cash. And he pitches Lachlan on a strategic investment in this company. And Lachlan agrees to a deal which has, it's worth about just a bit over $10 million dollars and 80% of that is contra. They only put in $2 million cash. Chump change. Chump change. Uh, but Lachlan does have to fight for it because um, he has to get approval from head office and David DeVoe, the financial officer in New York, doesn't want to, doesn't even want to spend $2 million of cash on, um, you know, he'd say it was good money after bad. But Lachlan got, really champions this investment and they come out with a minority stake in realestate.com.au, which, which goes on to make... Um, news Corporation, billions of dollars. In 2000, he goes back to America, starts working at the New York Post and he has the challenge of turning around a, a $20 million per year loss into a profit. How did he do it? 
It's an old-fashioned newspaper war. So Lachlan of the three siblings, Liz, uh, James and himself, Prue uh, has never been in, involved in the business, but Lachlan, Liz and James were all in the business. But Lachlan was the only one that showed any interest in newspapers. Lachlan is the one that is most interested in the Australian roots of the, of the company and has this love of print uh, since he was a young kid. And he, when he gets to New York, he's kind of missed the party. Um, you know, the tech boom and bust has happened and he realises that, yeah, he's, he's kind of bailiwick uh, is kind of going to be lim limited in a way, and he's really got to focus on the New York Post. And so he wages, uh, he invests in colour printing presses, just as they'd done at the Courier Mail, where, where he started his career. They cut the cover price, they promote the thing, uh, and they lift circulation and, and turn that paper around. And he hired Cole Allen. And he hires Cole Allen from the uh, Daily the Telegraph. The infamous Cole the, Allen. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and brings him over. Uh, so Lachlan was already, according to some of the people at, who work out of Holt Street, they have no doubt that he was calling the shots that already by the time before he left in the in the 90s. You know that it was Rupert was giving him his his head, if you like. This is uh, Late Night Live, and I'm talking to Paddy Manning about his book, The Successor: The High Stakes Life of Lachlan Murdoch. I'd forgotten that. Uh, Lachlan was in New York for 9-11. Yeah, so I got a, some, a pretty graphic account from Cole Allen of a trip that he, uh, Rupert and Lachlan, made to Ground Zero just days after the attack. Lachlan and Sarah were at home in their apartment in downtown Manhattan when it happened. Then he jumps on his motorbike to get into the New York Post office and then goes starts working... Uh, 18-hour days, uh, and he, Cole and Rupert, when Rupert gets back to New York, because he was um, detained actually out of town in Washington, I think, with John Howard, and they go to Ground Zero, and at this stage the authorities are still, with, with vegetable spray, uh, identifying body parts amidst the wreckage, uh, and, you know, according to Cole, uh, when they got back to Rupert's apartment, they all just, they just had to have it. They shared a bottle of vodka and drank it between them. They were absolutely shaken by the experience. And of course, that becomes uh, a prelude to the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. You also talk about a clash he had with Roger Ailes. Yes. So it's an interesting story, which has, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how many of your listeners would have read the biography of um, Roger Ailes by by Gabriel Sherman, but they might have seen Almost the movie. Almost everyone, I would have thought. <laughs> the Loudest Voice was turned into a movie, and it's a fantastic book. And and so there's a pretty good account in there of Ailes's view, dim view of the Murdoch sons. And he so he definitely was wary of their politics, and also not inclined as viewing them as kind of I suppose spoiled kids. Uh, he was not inclined to defer to them at all. And on nine eleven. In, in the days after 9-11, the New York Post was actually subject to an anthrax attack. Lachlan has a, has a clash with Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes wants to kind of politicise it, if you, if you like, and march, you know, straight onto the newsroom at Fox News and, you know, go public. Um, Lachlan is trying to manage it from a kind of uh, 
health and safety point of view and, and with, with the safety of his employees for, foremost in mind. And he's had briefings from the FBI who are investigating this anthrax incident. And so Lachlan goes downstairs and tells Roger Ailes off. Now, nobody tells Roger Ailes off. He's described as the only person in the empire that Rupert Murdoch is actually afraid of. And so that's the first. So Lachlan and Roger Ailes get off on the wrong foot from the very beginning. And it's not long before Ailes is scheming against Lachlan and that sort of comes to a head a few years later. And that, in effect, leads to, uh, to Lachlan coming back to Australia. Yes, that's right. So he he was kind of ambivalent about leaving in the first place. He genuinely loved Australia and and yet he felt like he was too far from the action and he had to, investors believed that he, as the logical successor, he'd been described already by Rupert as the first among equals. He had to get back to New York where the, where the money was made. Now, he comes back to Australia. Sorry. He tries to use an office at News Corp in Holt Street, but Rupert tells John Hardigan to kick him out. Yeah, so this is a bit of a running theme in the book, executives finding themselves the meat in the sandwich between Rupert and Lachlan and fully aware that blood is thicker than water and that it's a no-win situation for them and that Lachlan and Rupert will, you know, they'll repair the relationship and the person who will be sacrificed is the executive. So John is in a difficult situation. Rupert is angry that Lachlan's quit. Lachlan has nowhere else to work from. He's just setting up his own private business, Illyria. He doesn't even have a, a, a building yet. And yet Rupert is on the phone to Hardigan saying, no, he can't have a driver and a secretary in an office and work out of Holt Street. If you're out, you're out. <laughs> so Hardo has to tell him, and Lachlan doesn't take kindly to that at all. Now, this, let's look once again at the Tweedles Dumb and D of Lachlan and James Packer. Because once again, they're involved in a very problematic exercise. Tell us about Channel 10. James Packer said to me he still can't understand why he went back into free-to-air television. He had already sold out um, to uh, sold out of Channel 9 to focus on Crown Casinos. And he'd done a great deal just in the lead-up to the financial crisis. But in 20, 2000, at the end of 2009... He gets persuaded to buy a minority stake in Channel 10. And because James Packer believes he's trying to make good with Lachlan, um, after the OneTel disaster, he, he kind of brings, he wants to, you know, uh, make up for it. And he, he brought his, sold his minority, his own minority stake in realestate.com.au to Lachlan, not realising how incredibly valuable it would become. Uh, and he also brings Lachlan the opportunity to, uh, by 9% of Channel 10 um, at the price he just paid. And Lachlan jumps on it. So Lachlan is sitting over at his own company, Illyria, looking, you know, weighing up opportunities. He doesn't have a huge amount of money. It's only like $150 million that he has to play with, but, you know, nothing to be sneezed at. But he, he, he struggles in the financial crisis to pull off a deal. But he does agree to jump in uh, and co-invest with um, Packer in Channel 10. And that circles the toilet. Yeah, that turns into, I think, the worst business disaster for Lachlan. Uh, he he doesn't take the blame for one tell. He was m much, he was relying on, on James Packer 
and it was News Corp's money. He doesn't take the blame for Super League. He was in his early 20s and it was being run by Ken Cowley and John Rebo. But he is, it's his own money that he gets, he loses in Channel 10 and he is intimately involved in all of the decisions. Let's take a moment to look at the private lives of uh, these two guys. Uh, James would have all sorts of problems with women and uh, what was going on with with uh, Lachlan, who must have been at the at his, that time Sydney's most eligible bachelor, Australia's. Well, it's a kind of a fairy tale romance, really. He meets the supermodel um, Sarah O'Hare, who you know it's easy to forget, but at one point was the most photographed woman on the internet. She was a mega Australian export in her own right, based in New York. Uh, he gets introduced on a boat on Sydney Harbour to. Um, Sarah by um, their mutual friend Colette Dinnigan and they are kind of, uh, they pretty quickly get engaged. That marriage has actually su survived an incredible amount of scrutiny over what would it be more than 20 years now. They would be approaching their 25th anniversary. Now um, Anna was Catholic. For a while Rupert was being drawn to Catholicism. I think he became a papal knight at some point. Is Lachlan a practising Catholic? No, he doesn't. He he didn't go to a Catholic school. He describes himself as Christian. I was very clear on this. Actually, I was, I was interested. I said, oh, well, would he describe himself as atheist or agnostic? And no, no, he describes himself as Christian, but, but not Catholic. And he, you know, none of the kids, the kids haven't gone to, his kids with Sarah haven't gone to Catholic schools. Um, he's not uh, a practising churchgoer but he does identify with Christian values. Now, Lachlan, of course, was blessed to have been far from the phone-hacking investigation into news of the world. Yes, so James ultimately takes the fall for the, for the phone-hacking scandal, which his camp can tell there is still a, a degree of kind of bitterness over how that kind of played out. That was the worst crisis that's ever struck the... The Murdoch Empire, I think. It actually certainly. threatened their survival, didn't it? Yes, and Lachlan uh, was as far as you could... I mean, he remained on the board of News Corporation. I think I still, I think to this day it's extraordinary that the board of News Corporation didn't take more active interest in what was going on in the UK earlier than it did. Uh, nonetheless, Lachlan was, uh, you know, according to... I, I spoke to a number of people in the UK. Nobody says that Lachlan had anything to do with phone hacking. And he, in fact, intervenes uh, at that moment of crisis uh, for the family and the company by flying over to London, persuading, alongside Anna, persuading Rupert and Liz not to fire James, uh, that they should kind of circle the wagons and, and defend. And... It's not a long bow to say that, you know, Lachlan is the successor now because of what happened in that phone hacking scandal a decade ago. Now, do you think Lachlan's politics have changed over the, over the years? When he started out, he seemed to be a bit more liberal on social issues. Yes, when he comes out in the 90s, um, he's cool. Like, he's anti-Hanson, he's pro-Republic, uh, he's very open-minded when it comes to, you know, having, you know, like gay mates and, you know, being small L liberal describes himself as socially progressive and economically conservative. But he starts moving to the right after 9-11. 
Yeah, he does. And I think in some ways that Keith and Rupert have had a similar trajectory, you know, in their university years, they might flirt with socialism or, um, you know, have, a, have, have more of a social conscience. But as they get older, they get more conservative. And I think Lachlan has been on a similar journey. Yes, 9-11, but also, I mean, his best political friend um, in Australia is Tony Abbott. Well, I'd forgotten that Sarah launched uh, Tony Abbott's book, Battle Lines, in 2009. Yes, yes. And in fact, I interviewed Kevin Rudd about this and he'd forgotten it as well. And uh, he kind of unloaded at that point when, in, when, we were, um, when we were talking about it because he says that just says that just tells you everything you need to know. You know, Rudd <laughs> is in power. They've dodged the financial crisis. But at Lachlan's uh, wife, Sarah, is launching Tony Abbott's book in 2010. Uh, that is, he says, for Murdoch editors, that is all they needed to know about which way they, they should, their coverage should lean. So, OK, you say he claims to be socially liberal, economically conservative, but um, he's portrayed as being much to the right of Rupert. Yeah, so Chris Mitchell, the former editor-in-chief of The Australian and who I, I worked for at The Australian, yeah, describes him in his own book, Making Headlines, as having a conservatism that is more rigorous than any Australian politician and generally to the right of Rupert. So uh, that's a book that comes out in 2015. You know, uh, Chris has, you know, knows Lachlan's politics well. Uh, and I think, I think, you know, you can see the evidence of Lachlan's own kind of increasing conservatism in the editorial positions of the Australian papers, but also uh, also increasingly in Fox News when he, once he returns to the fold. It's interesting that uh, Lachlan donates a million smackers to Mitch McConnell. Heavens above, how, how right-wing can you get? Yes, well, in a, pro, a sort of post-row America, how can you describe yourself as socially liberal if you're donating to the architect more than any other US politician? Mitch McConnell is the architect of the conservative supermajority on the Supreme Court. And I just don't think you can reconcile a small L liberalism with that with that that kind of donation. Your book is called The Successor, and it will remind many people, of course, of the TV series Succession. So let's look now at the parting of the ways of James and Lachlan, because they they start to diverge politically. And you remind us that James put out a statement about the Charlottesville Nazi protests. Yes, so Trump, in a way, divides the Murdoch brothers in in a similar way that he has divided America. So, and that's good friends of of both of them that are putting that to me. The Murdochs were famously kind of vacillating over whether Trump was the appropriate GOP nominee in the run up to the 2016 election. James and Lachlan had repaired their relationship, were on the same page when it came to firing Roger Ailes, for example, uh, over the sexual harassment um, allegations that first triggered by Gretchen Carlson. And Lachlan played a key role in getting rid of Ailes at that point. So the, the brothers were aligned, but the Trump presidency splits them. And Charlottesville is just one moment uh, along the way. James and Catherine, you know, it starts with the Muslim ban, uh, one of the first acts that um, Trump takes as president, uh, which was, you know, th there was a kind of negotiation between James and Lachlan and Rupert about whether, you know, Fox should come out and, and denounce the ban. Uh, and ultimately they did denounce it, um, 
although not in as strong terms as James would like. But in the wake of the Charlottesville massacre, and you've got, um, you know, the Unite the Right rally, and you've got people sh shouting Jews will not replace us. Um, James and his wife, Catherine Hufschmidt, who actually, well, J Catherine Murdoch, um, who was actually introduced as a result of the um, yacht trip to Fiji on Arctic Pea between James Packer and, and Lachlan Murdoch back in the 90s, um, uh, James and Catherine put out a statement uh, saying, um, and basically rationalising it, that if you've got Nazis marching in Virginia, uh, there are no good Nazis. Yeah, Lachlan, Lachlan takes a view that it's not his role to air his personal opinions. If he does... He, he doesn't mind having an, a fairly well-known friendship with Tucker Carlson. No, no, but he keeps his, view, his own views to himself. Uh, his view is that he's kind of wary of groupthink and he believes that if he starts telegraphing his own private opinions, his editors and journalists around the world will just start parroting them. Surprise, and, surprise. Yes. So he so he keeps his views to himself. He doesn't really agree with coming out and denouncing Trump um, over, you know, the Charlottesville rally. And yet... But there was a bigger division too, and that's over climate change. Yeah, so, I mean, we see more evidence of that in 2019, 20, the bushfires, for example, that, you know, the black summer that strikes Australia. Lachlan Cartwright at the Daily Beast manages to get a statement out of James Murdoch expressing their profound, um, James and Catherine again, expressing their profound disappointment over the coverage of the bushfires in their own family's business. There seems to be an increasing divergence. I think it actually comes back not to politics, but they, the two brothers are intensely competitive and Lachlan felt that James was um, trying to push their father out of the business, was insufficiently respectful of um, Rupert's achievements, uh, had a view that James believed he was a better businessman than his father. And Lachlan is much more of the dutiful son and believes that Rupert built the business, uh, he should be allowed to run it. And once he was persuaded to rejoin the fold, which was not automatic, it took him a while for Rupert to kind of talk him around, the, you know, I suppose the most bitter moment for James was to find that the board and Rupert believed Lachlan having set up his own business in Australia and being untarnished by the phone hacking scandal was probably the most appropriate, the best placed person to succeed Rupert. Cain and Abel stuff. Now, all the Murdoch kids shared an estimated $2 billion from the sale of Fox to Disney. None of them need money, and yet they're all investors in the company. Yes, so uh, they have a share each of the six. Rupert has six kids. Uh, one by Patricia Booker, three by Anna, and two by Wendy Deng. And they have an equal financial share in the Murdoch Family Trust, which owns approximately 40% in ballpark terms of both Fox Corporation and News Corporation, which were split after the phone hacking scandal. And that stake, at the end of 2017, Rupert has a lunch with Bob Iger at his own estate in Bel Air and proposes what, what follows from that is the biggest deal of Rupert's life, the sale of the bulk of the movie and television entertainment business of 21st Century Fox to Disney, uh, which was completed in 2019. At that moment, that's the moment when James is well and truly left out in the cold and Lachlan is installed as the CEO of the rump company, Fox Corporation. 
What's going on now with this uh, idea of the, well, merger? What's, what's going on is, is that they might be put, putting those two businesses, Fox and News Corporation, back together. And so this goes back to the meeting that Lachlan held at the beginning of the year between the boards of Fox and News Corporation. Uh, I suppose I didn't know it at the time when I was picking up the details of this meeting, although it was quite clear that that was a possibility. But we've just seen announced in the last couple of weeks that both Fox and News Corporation are looking at the possibility of a recombination. Uh, there may be synergies, there may be benefits in terms of scale, uh, but putting those uh, two companies back together will, uh, if nothing else, entrench Lachlan's control over the whole empire. In the interest of being fair and balanced, Patty, you note that uh, while there has been much criticism of Murdoch-style journalism, there's also some good stuff coming out of News Corp. Yes, well, I think there are plenty of Murdoch critics and they rightly um, constantly attack misinformation on Fox News, for example, about COVID or about, you know, the big lie, and that's fair enough. But what doesn't happen is credit to the Murdochs for the excellent journalism that happens, for example, in the Wall Street Journal, which uh, recently published the Facebook files or which did a groundbreaking investigation into the drug company Theranos, uh, which actually Rupert had a $100 million stake. Had some dough in there. And never intervened. Or Hedley Thomas's work on Teacher's Pet for The Australian. You know, this is excellent journalism. And there aren't many people who are willing to put their hand up and give the Murdochs credit for that. And he keeps me on as an indication of pluralism. And then (laughs) there's your excellent column, Philip. (laughs) Okay. What happens when Rupert dies? Isn't there a chance that Lachlan could get ousted by his siblings? Yes, there absolutely is. And so if there was one kind of takeout for me from the book, it was the depth of the division now and and animosity between Lachlan and James. So James has no role whatsoever in the management of the companies and he's off the board of News Corporation. But he does still have his share in the Murdoch Family Trust And at one point, it was originally uh, revealed by the New York Times, there was an idea that Lachlan, supported by Rupert, would buy out James and Liz and Prue from the uh, trust. And yet he couldn't get the money together and ultimately came to a view that the deal, you know, would give him no more than he already had. He already had control of those businesses. What I'm told now is that there is a determination on the part of the three siblings to re- reassert control of the business once R- Rupert passes. And it was put to me in these terms, Philip. Um, the three on the other side of Lachlan could choose to manifest control over all of the Murdoch businesses and do it in a way that enhances democracies around the world rather than undermining them. And I think that's pretty strong language You're coming, a coming from inside the family. Patty, because um, after all of this, I learned that you're going to do a PhD on a century of News Corp. Yes, so um, there's been 50 books about Rupert, of course, but nobody has done a proper job on the history of the company. So supervised by uh, Macquarie University Professor Bridget Griffin-Foley, who did a history of Consolidated Press. Gavin Souter has done a history of the Fairfax Empire, but nobody has done a proper history of News Corporation. Uh, It's just passed its centenary. It was founded in 1922. And Bridget said to me when I approached her that, I'd be a good person to do tackle that <laughs> tackle that project. 
Well, come back when you're doctor, Paddy Manning, and we'll have another chat. But for the moment, we've been discussing the successor, The High Stakes Life of Lachlan Murdoch, published by Black Ink. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.